Somebody will say like plate or shrimp or plate of shrimp out of the blue. No explanation, no point. Look for it. It's all part of the cosmic unconsciousness. Oh, yeah. Come out. Listen to reason. Come on! Listen to reason. Hello and welcome to the Cult Film Companion Podcast, the home of movies that are off, under, and ahead of the cinematic radar. My name is Chris, I am your host, and joining me for this episode, I have a very special guest who I formally introduced to you in just a couple seconds, but before I do, I just want to remind everyone that the Cult Film Companion Podcast is now available on all major podcast platforms. Please follow us on social media, Instagram and Twitter at the same handle, Cult Film Comp, C-U-L-T-F-I-L-M-C-O-M-P. Join our Facebook group. Check out www.blindknowledge.com, which is a great creator collective for videocasts and podcasts from around the world that cover a wide variety of interesting and entertaining topics. So check out all the fine creators at blindknowledge.com today. We are also a featured podcast on Newsly. Newsly is an audio app for iOS and Android that captures the latest trending articles based on topics that you choose to follow and then reads them to you in a natural human voice. Stop scrolling, start listening. For the first time in the history of the web, the entire internet becomes listenable. Download and use Newsly for free today at www.newsly.me. And please use the promo code C-O-L-T-F-1-L-M. Cult Film, drop the I, pop in a one, and enjoy a month free of Newsly's premium service courtesy of us. So for all that hot-dogging and grandstanding out of the way, I am very pleased to welcome, to the, for the first time, to the Cult Film Companion Podcast, Cam from the Jacked Up Review Show. Cam, welcome to Thank my show. Thank you, my dude. Thank you. Oh, you're very, you're very welcome. <laughs> That's a lot to plug away there and promote. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah we just, I'm we, looking that up now. <laughs> we got to plug, plug, plug along. And uh, so tell us a little bit about the Jacked Up Review Show podcast and where my listeners can check you out if they're interested. The name's kind of a... Uh, double meaning as like I was avid watcher of the show 24 I was like hey how about we do some Jack Power themed kind of podcast and then I was like uh, how about we jack it up how about we <laughs> and so we, we tackle all kinds of franchises we movies and TV but we recently ventured even more into like dissecting uh, cult actors and filmmakers careers as well as just some beloved music bands oh sweet and, even review food so <laughs> so what are uh some so uh, i'm curious what are some of the, the bands that you've covered because that's not something i get oh, to talk a lot about on my show we mostly talk about movies so just curious but some of the some of the bands that you've covered that are cult bands oh so uh, just everything from like uh zeppelin and and halen to you know nine inch nails and we were all about just kind of Talking about their side projects that didn't really get as much attention, but still, sure. you know, blew up an iTunes chart at one point or another. And it was just really cool to just kind of see just how some of them, you know, much like 
especially when we were talking to Pink Floyd, how many of them, you know, just kind of an extra lead in by, uh, you know, scoring movies and uh, doing other experimental music videos. And we, we always just try to dissect, you know, it's like, what, what are they better known for perhaps? And why do you think some of their side projects, you know, did bigger business than others? You know, what, was it misadvertised? Was it a misleading poster or trailer? Whereas, was it just not marketable and it was only going to catch fire, you know, uh, afterwards? What, what was the deal? And we, you know, if we feel like we just can't do any kind of constructive take on it, we're just not going to do it. You know, it's got to be just really just, you know, not the easiest thing, but also very appealing in some capacity. <laughs> you know, not the easiest thing, and but, no. but ser- somewhat appealing is probably... Uh, a, a very interesting way that we can segue into discussing the career of Dolph Lundgren because he certainly had his ups and downs and the man's also a genius. Well, not a genius, but I know he's got like a PhD, so he's actually like a doctor, Dr. Lundgren. <laughs> People don't make fun of him. Yeah. Like, he's not so, Arnold where we like him for being over the top. <laughs> right. So the man's very, very intelligent. He's also very, very skilled in, uh, in martial arts, which will come into play with the movie that we're talking about. Now, this movie is something interesting because it is... I don't know... So it's either Dark Angel or I Come in Peace. And (laughs) so I don't remember this as anything other than I Come in Peace. I don't ever remember hearing about this referred to as Dark Angel. I think it was the UK VHS release or first run for wherever, you know. (laughs) Right, because I know that um, it was... It was planned to be released. Uh, so actually, it seems to me that everywhere else in the world except the United States got this movie as Dark Angel. And they changed the title because there are two other movies called The Dark Angel. But with the caveat. It's a TV show now. But with <laughs> you the, say that now. Exactly. Like, it's like. You mean the Jessica Alba, James Cameron show from the 2000s? Uh, cool. Right. But these these <laughs> these two movies, of all the things. So we're talking. This movie was recorded. Um, this movie was filmed in 88, 89, released in 90. These movies came out in 1925 and 1935. And this one producer seemed to be worried that these obscure movies from. Um, you know, decades ago, we're going to come back and, and bite them in the butt for some reason. So, anyway, I haven't... It happens more often than you think. Yeah. Like, just the... Stu- like, they've had that issue with even some of the Mystery Science Theater movies where they would get lawsuits. You can't release that all of a sudden. Like, for real, someone is proud of this garbage movie and doesn't want it released, just can't shut up and take a paycheck. I guess we got to just cancel the release. <laughs> and then you've got a movie that, uh, like the original Night of the Living Dead, that due to Tuesday like, oh, yeah. uh, has fallen into the public domain because somebody, uh, it's some legal, I don't know, somebody forgot to dot an I and cross a T and now... Poor George Romero wasn't making any money off of the original Night of the Living Dead. Like you said, there's a there are plenty of people that copyright some really bad movies out there. But we're not talking. So copyrighted the night and Romero copyrighted the dead. Yeah, 
uh, before we get into the movie itself, I'll just give a quick background about it. This movie was released September 28th, 1990. It was filmed in Houston, Texas, and is set in Houston, Texas. Although, you know, it wasn't until I did my research that I realized it was in Houston. Because I remember, I thought the entire time re-watching it this most recently, I was taking notes because I knew we were covering it for the show. And I was like, yeah. I wonder what city this is. L.A., is it? New York, and then there's a scene where there's quite clearly a Houston police car, and I was like, Houston? Okay. That's odd. <laughs> it doesn't... Funny enough, some of the guys who didn't like this movie, I noticed, complained that they didn't find it a convincing area of Houston. I was like, for real? I mean, there are several areas <laughs> in certain cities that could easily look like each other, unless it's, you know, specifically Chicago or New York setting, but I mean... Predator 2 was filmed in parts of, you know, the same year it was filmed in Dallas. And I mean, right. it's meant to be in L.A. And I'm sure there's some L.A. locations in here, but they did legit, I think, do some shooting in like Dallas and parts of Houston. So, <laughs> you know, I've never I've never uh, been to Texas, but I know people that have and I've never heard Don't. anybody question. <laughs> <fellow Texan>. no. <laughs> yeah, I was just like, so I've never heard anyone question the legitimate. Le- legitimacy of this uh, I, I have to say the only thing that's ever really truly broken my heart was that I was doing a podcast and I was talking to two guys from Detroit and they broke it to me that the original Robocop was not filmed in Detroit and I was like that was just shocking to me um, so anyway enough about Robocop uh, we're talking about Dark Angel or I Come in Peace this movie had a budget of between five to seven million dollars and grossed somewhere between four point three five to four point three seven million at the box office, which isn't bad, convincing, uh, you know, considering the the type of movie <laughs> we're talking about. Now, this movie is directed by Craig R. Baxley, who's got a huge background in stunt work. He was a stunt coordinator on numerous films and did stunt work for numerous films and comes from a family of stunt workers. Mm-hmm. And have you read his book? I have not read his book. Have you? I have not, but I've seen excerpts from it and it's pretty cool kind of how, you know, he, he, once he became a director, he was all about just kind of just like find the motivation in any kind of character, let the actor take care of the character and know how to frame them. And then, you know, he's just kind of the go-to after this of just like doing a lot of Stephen King type miniseries like he did uh, Storm of the Century which I think is totally worth seeing he did the agreed agreed he did the Dean Devlin Brian Singer produced uh, miniseries uh, The Triangle which I totally recommend it still holds up and has an all-star cast of sci-fi or uh, favorites but uh, yeah with this he had just done Action Jackson for Joel Silver he had been the second unit director and coordinator on a team as well as uh, Predator and yeah, at this point he was pretty much just taking over for whatever director had fallen through and they're just like hey just you know come and go and it's just so wild how he takes like a lowbrow premise and he's just able to involve you in it and then one of the on uh, uh, credited under a different persu- uh, name is uh, David Cope who would later you know like, I, I think it's actually Kep is it? Kep. Kep. I think Kep. it's okay, Kep. My bad. It's my okay. Bad. <laughs> I think it's David Kep, but yeah, I was going to bring that up because that's, 
<laughs> it's it's um if you look actually because I'm looking at the Blu-ray right now it doesn't there's not no mention of David Kep it's it says written by Jonathan uh, Tidor and Leonard Moss Jr. and um, Leonard Moss Jr. Uh, doesn't exist. That's that's <laughs> David Kep. And for those of you who are like, uh, who's David Kep? Why should I care who David Kep is? I'm gonna just uh, r- rattle off a couple movies right off the top of my head, and um, these are movies that he has written. And then I'm gonna mention a couple that he's actually a pretty good writer director. But he wrote the first two Jurassic Park movies directed by Steven Spielberg. He wrote. Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, which, while is not a great movie, is still admirable. I mean, you're writing screenplays for Steven Spielberg, so you must be doing something. A lot of Brian De Palma work. A lot of of Brian De Palma work. The first first Mission Impossible movie, Carlito's Way, and the first Sam Raimi Spider-Man. And um, his directing work, while hasn't gotten such renowned uh, attention as some of just his solo screenwriting work um he's still uh, he's put out some really Original decent spider-man stir of echoes well he did yes yeah. uh he directed stir of echoes i was gonna that was one of the ones that i really really yeah. liked and he actually wrote and directed a movie that if i can find a copy of i would like to cover on this show at some point called the trigger effect which is a pretty interesting thriller about what happens when there's a blackout but anyway this guy's got a pretty strong uh hollywood pedigree so to speak so i I think that's why this movie and i'm gonna just i'll briefly sum up this movie we have a space alien that comes to earth who only speaks the phrase, I come in peace, and then will either kill you and suck out Ironically. your... Ironically, yeah. Yeah, well, <laughs> suck out your endorphins or is stealing large amounts of heroin because he is an international drug dealer and a space cop, not played by Dolph Lundgren, comes, <laughs> is chasing him and is trying to stop him because he knows how... Dan- he, he knows that if this alien drug dealer comes back and they find out there's an easy way of harvesting large amounts of drugs from the people of Earth. He says it's going to be a massacre. Meanwhile, Dolph Lundgren is is on an undercover cop duty and his partner is killed not by the space alien. I mean, so actually, there's a, there's a lot... Now that I think about it, there's a lot more going on in this movie than y- you would think at face value. Than, and it's set at Christmas. And it's a Christmas movie. <laughs> because, of course, it is. I was, you know... Um, this Christmas, guys, set up your Tubi and <laughs> play this movie. Yeah, it's time for I Come... I mean, I mean <laughs> it's, it's kind of charming in a way. I mean, if your title is I Come in Peace, it, it does sound like it would make it for a fine Christmas movie. But um, so we get Dolph Lundgren as a cop and Brian Ben-Ben as an FBI um, agent. Um, Dream On, yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, other than Dream On, I can't really think of him in anything... Um, it was in this cool uh, miniseries called Kingpin that only lasted a season, but uh, fortunately this was when uh, NBC was kind of taking up a lot of the DVD rental store shelves, and they had uh, 
uh, the, one of the main producers released a producer's cut, which was way more uncut and in league with the Sopranos type shows, and it was a pretty edgy show. And he was playing a, a black market uh, like surgeon, you know, doing some other shady side business, and it was just interesting seeing him just once again just be very off color like he usually is in every role. Yeah. Um, well, we we got him as the uh, the straight laced goes by the <laughs> yeah, book, <I> which so <laughs> we've got a buddy cop movie. And we've got a predator type creature going around, yeah. like what he does for sport. I saw some Terminator comparisons, but it's mainly, yeah, totally lethal weapon meets predator. It's so much fun. Which is which is pretty much you know that's par for the course for a late '80s movie. I mean, we we the the, the lethal weapon franchise at that point was in full force, and Predator was a huge hit, and I'm sure they took some just. Anything sci-fi, and um, that was the pitch. And Jan Hammer from freaking Miami Vice is doing your score. I'm like, whoa, yeah. <laughs> and um, at the time, you know, I have to say Mark. that this this came ironically, or actually not ironically, coincidentally, <laughs> just a couple weeks ago, <laughs> in an episode that if you're listening to this now, has already been da- uh, uploaded, but um, Listen to it! <laughs> listen to my uh, go back and re-listen to my episode that I did about the 1989 or 1990 Punisher starring Dolph Lundgren, so he was, <sighs> he was um, he wasn't an A-list action star at and he never really became an A-list action star, although he's been in A-list movies. Um, I mean, who could forget Rocky Four, which is just, I mean, him as uh, the monosyllabic Russian boxing killing machine. Literally. he kill- <laughs> A spoiler alert for Rocky Four: he kills Apollo Creed. And, and you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, then he comes back and raises his youngest and says, I won't disown you like the Russian Federation would disown me. <laughs> but, yeah. Um, I'm best friends with Sean Malloy, who's in charge of the Dolph Lundgren thing podcast. Uh, uh, I must break this podcast. And it's sweet. been interesting just looking at his career, how... He- it was basically just being offered just low-rent Stallone, Schwarzenegger knockoff-type movies, and at the same time, like, uh, his DVD posters just don't do cut the mustard. They just look cheesier than they actually are. His movies would come out in, like, Japan or Bulgaria, but we would get them, like, straight to HBO here in the States, so it was just yeah. a weird uh, shtick for him. And here he's... I think he does fine here just because he's not actually... It wasn't like, you know, Van Damme where he was just all just about, I got to find a lame reason for why I have a bizarre accent, you know, and I'm gonna, supposed to be playing an American or like Seagal where he's just got to look very glumly at the camera and find an excuse to kick everyone he sees within a distance. You know? <laughs> well, speaking speaking of kicking everyone in a distance, I do want to mention one of the opening scene. So the, one of the openings, the opening scene is the alien comes to Earth, uh, kills a yuppie. That's upset that his CD player is malfunctioning. I don't know. That never comes back. I guess it has something. Well, it has something to do with the fact that this this alien creature actually has a pretty cool weapon, which is kind of like this uh, 
table saw. Minus how to operate it. (laughs) Minus yeah, it's pretty much a table saw minus the table part, and it's just this huge saw blade that um I guess he can tune to the frequency because everybody has a a small electronic frequency. This is according to the movie. I'm not sure how accurate this all is, um but I'm sure it's much more accurate if you have a pacemaker. Then absolutely, this alien's gonna come and been able to tune to your frequency and cut your head off. Kills this yuppie, and then um, Dolph Lundgren's on a stakeout with his partner. They're supposed to be setting up a drug deal, but um, meanwhile, across the street, a liquor store is being robbed, and so Dolph Lundgren's, I mean, I mean, this is the cop. I mean, he can't, I mean, logically, the, the you should call in for backup and be like, listen, I'm on a stakeout, and... Uh, this liquor store is getting robbed. So ends up playing God, unfortunately. He's so, like, well... So he goes, there's no time for that. I'm Dolph Lundgren, so I, he leaps into action. And there's a, there's a scene in this liquor store where he does a spin kick, and um, <laughs> yes. he actually connected... This, the shot that is in the movie, he actually connected with the... The, um, the stunt guy said that... Uh, the stunt guy missed his mark slightly... And really? yeah, and Dolph Lundgren did a spin kick and knocked him out legitimately. Uh, and that's the so if you watch in the movie, you can see because you like if you watch it after hearing this story, I went back and rewatched it. And like, yeah, there is it was like, wow, that's either like one of the best stunt workers I've ever seen or nope, this this guy legitimately just got spin kicked by Dolph Lundgren. I kind of didn't think about it, not necessarily because of the camera angle, but just because um know how they always add in fully after the fact so i just i didn't i think i did see some of that uh on the trivia and i was like man that's crazy (laughs) yeah because dolph lundgren um is he's a big dude like he's very 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 tall and he is and i don't want to poo poo the stunt man that is a hard thing to do even no matter how much rehearsal time you have it can still go wrong (laughs) sure and i mean like the like he said, I mean, uh, um, I was watching, it was an interview with Dolph Lundgren who was talking about this. The guy was, like, off by, like, a millisecond uh, or, like, a centimeter. We're not talking, like, a huge mistake. But when it comes to stunt work, and obviously what this movie is directed by a guy whose life was stunt work. So that's the thing about this movie that I really think makes it much more enjoyable and rewatchable than your typical kind of late 80s, early 90s uh, sci-fi action movie because the stunt work is incredible in this movie. I'm just going to say. It goes by so fast, though, too. Like, it doesn't drag. Even no. It kind of has fun with the cliches and actually would do kind of a similar thing with Stone Cold, which has kind of become another cult movie, which has a biker going undercover with a very insane white supremacist gang yeah uh, it's and so i think if anything you know after action jackson you know actually was all about just get to what everyone has come here to see uh you know i don't think it's even just formulaic as most movies where we're just trying to predict everything it's going by so fast and we still get a few pleasant surprises and amusing off-color dialogue by both the uh uh, morgue attendant gal and <laughs> the federal agent guy. <laughs> I mean, th- that's the thing. Like you say, they play up the. the it does. It's it, and and another thing that this movie knows what it is, and I like that. That it doesn't try to be. Oh my god! Like 
like this guy's like, oh, I get to direct a movie, so I got to make it really heady and like, no, this and is give you too much backstory. It's like, no, I get it. <laughs> really, like These are we... alien bounty hunters and everything. <laughs> it's as goofy as it sounds, but at the same time, like, it's straight face, but it's not. I just say they're not trying to pretend like this is Shakespeare, you know? right? This is but I mean, just like you said, they play with some of the cliches. Like, the thing is. I'm just thinking of like you know you see these movies where the 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 um the cop the bad boy cop the loose cannon goes home and it like it's a dirty place and he's just be angry and upset and he's popping you know he's drinking cheap beer and he's just like he'll eat whatever whatever leftovers in the refrigerator this movie and I I like it because Brian Ben Ben kind of like his character is expecting that sort of uh place for Dolph Lundgren to be living. No, Dolph Lundgren's apartment is beautiful. He's got, like, works of art hung on the wall. And then he offers, he goes, would you like some wine? And and the, even he seems taken aback. Brian Benben's like, what? He goes, wine, you know? <laughs> he's, so like, he's, like a, a he's like a wine connoisseur. Appreciate, like, the music he's listening to. He listens to, like, classical music. He and doesn't w- have any time to be home other than just yeah. like, wine. Yeah. So when he's <laughs> home, like, it. yeah, he's got a really nice, he's got a really nice pad. So you don't get the grimy kind of um, dirty kind of motif that you would kind of, ex- you've come to expect from movies like this. Um, <laughs> before we get much further into the movie, when, do you remember the first time that you either saw this or had heard of this movie? It was a commonly just kind of like Trancers and uh, many of the other movies it's often compared to, like the first Power and uh, Alien Nation. I just would always hear about. They were often on just user-generated favorite buddy movie lists. Uh, you know, before all the other sites were kind of taken over and everything. And uh, I would see a lot of, I was just always kind of a cult movie guy, but also just in general, just like I would read a lot of reviews. So I, it was in my awareness field. I've finally seen it all the way through this year, even though, you know, I just had seen parts of it for years and I could just totally tell. I was like, yeah, this is a hundred percent my kind of movie, mm-hmm. uh, much like Ricochet, much like any of these other kinds of uh, late eighties, early nineties movies, because uh, they, they, really do a good use at just playing around with their formula and you legit love the characters uh, there's no other way to put it It, if you were to introduce this to a crowd now it would actually play pretty well because there's not too much dated stuff there's no racial slurs or uh, me too offensive crap in it there's no just other things in there where you're like mm, well that was the 90s you know th- it would be quite acceptable for even a men in black type crowd today or a- x-files absolutely and i kind of, what i what i like about this movie and you know this might just be my machismo kicking in and i like how violent <laughs> i like how violent this movie is they don't skimp on the violence this is sometimes there yeah. are movies that i kind of um I remember growing up as a kid that I couldn't watch on cable or I wasn't able to rent. And then when I finally saw them, I was very disappointed. This is not one of those movies. Uh, I I remember... Pretty tame R rating. There's like only like a few bits of language thrown out there and there, and there's the one strip club sequence. I do recall some reviewers saying they would commonly see it on TVS back in the day. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I mean, this would also... I mean, like I say, it's very, very violent, but it, it is also... I, I also think that movies around this time were all often filmed and edited 
in such a way that if they to make a suitable for um, cable CPA version, Spike TV, yeah, yeah, they they, they knew that okay, like well, we could just take out. I mean, like you said, the shots at the strip club. There, I mean, yes. But you gotta. If you go back and watch that scene, the actual shots of nudity, it would be so easy for some geek to go in and take out a couple frames here and there, and then that that scene is actually suitable for cable television. So thousand percent. It's yeah. not like other movies where if you edit it, what's the point? You literally have just created plot holes by excising those subplots. Right. <laughs> But I do remember that I I mean, I remember having a friend who who had either HBO or Cinemax who, who had seen this movie and was telling me about it. We just call it by its real nickname, Skinemax. <laughs> Skin, yeah. Yeah. So he had told me about the movie and he he referred to it as I like, come in peace. And then I remember years later go you know, um, finally able to rent, you know, rated R movies. Uh, I remember going to the video store <laughs> they, they 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 were just like what I come in peace. There's there's no I'm sorry. There's no movie called I come in peace. And then so it took me a while to actually track this down, and that's because of the title, Hoofla. Um, so let's just get down to the most important question that we're gonna cover today, Cam. Which <laughs> title is better? Which title, in your opinion, is better? Uh, I concur with you. I Come in Peace is definitely the better title because Dark Angel just sounds that could be anything. Is that a vigilante? Is that a supernatural angel? From what is that? I think I, I immediately. Well, this, uh, and part of me, this is just just you know me um, personally, but. Uh, being raised Catholic, when I hear Dark Angel, I think of something. <laughs> I I think Dark Angel would be a great alternate title for the Prophecy movie starring Christopher Walken. That's oh, I would pay to see that crossover. <laughs> now, yeah, that would be something. But you know, in the Prophecy, Christopher Walken actually plays an angel. We're dealing with aliens, so it's not even Dark Alien, which is a worse title. But Dark Angel. <laughs> It sounds it sounds so generic when it. I rather just say, you know I come in peace like you've it's never. It's confusing for you know anyone watching it unless they're just like you say a supernatural believer and they're watching that kind of movie is like it's just they wouldn't want to watch this anyway because it's too violent you know so why would they seek it out I don't right know. it's yeah it's it it knows but and then you could even just. I even think the abbreviation's a better title. Just call it ICIP. <laughs> I mean that. I mean ICIP. Yeah. yeah. I mean that's a great title, ICIP. But yes, the the only it's, the only thing that really I I got a little hung up on, which is weird because this movie's bizarre and I shouldn't get it goes so fast for a bizarre movie. So it it's does. not easy to question it right away. But yeah, there, every movie has plot holes. Uh, it's not even a plot hole. My question is. The one alien is able to speak English while the other alien isn't, but he's able to somewhat understand English, I guess. Again, if this I, was a Rene Harlan vehicle, I would probably say it's a hackneyed script. This movie, it's pretty clear that it's going viral fast, but I kind of did get a sense that there was some material that was kind of omitted, and I do kind of get a feel that. Much like even Alien Nation is like that. That guy has just been around for a while, kind of observing human life. Now, with a better screenplay, it would have probably just you know 
actually kind of shown this guy just maybe one or two brief scenes, just him spying on Dolph and the other SWAT team guys and maybe just, you know, uh, show him, show maybe a, they could have just used a brief graphic of the alien guy just, you know, translating, you know, into his brain and so it all makes sense how he can read English from a human and I guess this guy you know he's just been going around preying on anybody he hasn't been observing anybody <laughs> he's just been no. hunting and, and then it's, it's kind of I, I kind of love the fact that the only thing that the alien drug dealer bad guy the only thing that he could say is I come in peace like I there's something about that that's equally brilliant and absurdly stupid <laughs> yeah yeah it is a thousand percent both of those it's a medusa kind of effect i like to say it's like uh he, he's except you know instead of being like a siren in the iliad he is actually this is like he, he just wants to get your attention and say the most generic thing to just make his prey stay still not I, that I, it really makes any difference they're still going to try and attempt to run and that's go, the thing oh. he's got he does not he he looks intimidating. It's not like... I mean, I almost think the premise would have worked better if it was like a very kind of um, non... Um, not non-intimidating, but just like a non... Just... just Nonchalant. Yeah, just kind of like a general kind of guy. Like if he kind of looked like a human or anything. This guy looks like an alien. His his eyes are white. He's gigantic. He's got a huge mullet. Um, and he's shooting... Like killer CDs and DVDs out of his wrist, <laughs> disc, yeah. And oh man, um, but yeah, the fact that like if this guy walked up to me and said, "I come in peace," like he says that to numerous people, and I think the only one that survives is wait, does that homeless woman survive? Because she ends up being a witness later, right? Or does she die? I think she, I think she survives if I recall correctly. Again, but um, again, why did she survive of all people? She's got endorphins. I, I mean, again, I think I'm probably thinking a little too much about a movie called I Come in Peace, so I'm going to, I'll... Um... In all fairness, it doesn't introduce too many things to where you're just like, oh, okay, you know, like, it's not like they had, like, the main character be a teen just fresh out of the police academy. That would have just opened up a whole set of, of I don't leave anything about this, so now I can only enjoy it as a mindless, you know, Fast and Furious <laughs> type movie. It is kind of one of those where it just... It has a decent backstory with a little more... If it had wanted to be deeper, it could have done that, I think. It's just at the point... Yeah. It wanted to be still a respectable popcorn as opposed to lowbrow popcorn. You know? Yeah, and I, I think that the, really what kind of backs that up is that um, it's very it's made very, very clear that the FBI is aware of aliens. And, like, because, like, that's, that's pretty interesting. That, that's kind of an interesting tidbit. Because it turns out that the FBI is very aware of this, um, but they need to to clean it up. And... I did like that. That's where it gets some points. It's not like other movies where it, you know, just as it's getting interesting, it just ends. You know, it's not a typical right. lacking yeah. thriller with an anticlimactic ending. You know, and uh, cheesy dialogue. It's pretty. It's so prompt that you pretty much have enough time to reanalyze it because it's just so much fun. <laughs> Exactly. I mean, just just. I mean, the sing the scenes don't linger. That we're jump. We jump from a chase scene to action scene to. We imply the sexual tension without actually having to say, "Hey, let's make this a guys movie." All of a sudden, you know, where it's like, <laughs> it's not cheese, cheese, cheese galore. Where it's not even a trashy kind of movie like 
because uh, like for instance there was a movie from this same year called the guardian and you know that was a william freakin him trying to do a exorcist type you know home invasion right, supernatural right. mystery and uh, i had no idea except when we actually covered that filmmaker that it had actually started out as a sam raimi horror comedy so here you go you're adapting stuff from a script and no matter how many rewrites and reshoots you've done, you still got some unintentionally amusing elements where people are guffawing in the audience because <laughs> yes. you haven't changed the tone. So you can change the script or shoot it differently, but if you don't excise or do some different edits, people are going to start reacting inappropriately. And I don't think this is that kind of movie where, you know, it's not a samurai cop type movie where you no. just like, no. oh, Be- if only they were in on the joke. That's a great one. Yeah, it's... <laughs> You know, none of this acting is going to win an Academy Award, but no. none, of, but none of it is also like terrible, like roll your eye bad kind of stuff. It's a fun B movie. It could easily appeal to Evil Dead or oh yeah, um, uh, I, other kinds of fans. It, because also, even though it has got a limited budget, like I said, the special effects and the stunt work, especially um, towards the end, there's a there's a, a bunch of shootouts because. You've got a one. You've got a drug dealer dealing with missing drug money, and it turns out that an alien is stealing it. So you got the mafia after the cops. The cops are after the alien. So like, I mean, I I, I don't know too much about the other screenwriter. So I'm gonna give the nod to David Kep on his work on the screenplay because this movie has some good. Uh, character actors as well, and not the kind that are like distracting, like oh hey Danny Trejo, you know. And it's more just like, uh, I, but like you say, it's just like plot B and C, and they don't interfere with plot A, but they're just they definitely go by Stevie and D'Souza, you know, diehard type logic. Is like here's obstacle B, C, and then D, in order to get to the you know finale, you know. And, right. But in another thing that I love about this era of action and sci-fi is that when a car explodes, that's a real car exploding, or the the oh, car yeah. the car actually I really I was really impressed with um, the chase scene in this movie. They actually go through a mall, and that as well as when the uh, alien cop is trying to shoot at our main alien guy, and you know he's. I like how you, he's intimidated by him. He's not the invincible, you know. No. And lo and behold, we defeated him by sheer luck, you know, with a scepter. It's not like cheesy. I don't mean to bash Highlander. That's a great show. But, I mean, it doesn't go like that kind of knockoff where yeah. you're just like, oh, you know, I have the power. We're know, talking, I mean, <laughs> like if we just wrote the, the the premise down on a piece of paper, you would probably give it a C-, minus, but... I think that the fact that the the fleshed out screenplay, the fact that this director kind of he knows what he's doing action wise, um, I wouldn't add, like you said not to bring up what you said earlier, but I wouldn't ask this guy to direct a Shakespeare play, but hell yeah, I'd have him second unit. What did you say? Second unit on the A team. So you got guns and explosions. This guy knows action. And so the action, I mean, and this so- could be a good Stargate type spinoff show, you know, but like you say, it is interesting how stuff that could be a C script could still be a B plus movie. That's so exactly what I was going to say. We, we got a C, a C, like a C script. Well, not a C script, but a C premise that is elevated to B. I would, I would say that this is a decent B movie. It's, it's not in the A range, but I, I, 
I would feel comfortable giving this a B minus overall. Um, maybe a B yeah. on a good day. It, it, I mean, this is one of those kinds of things you kind of know looking at if if you are an action junkie, you're going to dig this movie. If you like action sci-fi, you're going no, to... No, I won't. I hate action movies. I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> They're terrible. No, 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 no. No, I will only watch Shakespeare in Love. Yeah. Um, then, you know, <laughs> this is, but this is not like A24 territory. This is not heady, heady oh, stuff. This God. is this is an hour and a half of just 80, well, late 80s, early 90s fun. Um, start to finish, just lots of action. Um, and I, I almost, I, see, I questioned whether or not that they thought that they did, they do leave... The problem with this movie is that they do leave the option of a sequel, but it has nothing to do with the aliens. The, um, it would I be... I would have totally seen it. It would have been a lot of fun, but like you say, it it leaves it open without playing it necessarily safe. It's just right. very organized. Well, they, they said that they're going to go to, what, Rio? or they're, they're going after the guy that killed Dolph Lundgren's partner, is kind of the... Um, how they I he's teased a sequel, but see, he's not much of a writer, let alone an actor. He's more of a you know martial artist who does a lot of B movies. And unfortunately, this is like the last time, other than like Star Trek Six: The Undiscovered Country from the same year, that we see him in a theatrical movie. He's mm. a very nice, cool guy. I am not bragging at him at all. But what's unfortunate is he's just kind of. Uh, wasted a lot of his time with just a lot of just crappy just productions and it's just a shame because he is a pretty cool martial artist and he got the part in this movie by actually he was a fan of dolls from rocky and he was following him around and he got word that he was at a certain restaurant and he approached him <laughs> wow and Dolph was just like who is this clown get out of here you know and then he, he made he said like one key word and it became very apparent oh okay you are serious you're not just a fanboy who won't leave me alone with while I'm eating dinner with my family, you're pretty cool. <laughs> let's let's get you in this movie. Wow, I did not know that. That's um, yeah, that's that's really interesting. The nerd, I would do yeah, that. That's one of those people that I don't think I'd I'd want to approach. Maybe now because he's Elf much. Is a pretty cool guy. But I, at that I'm point... sure he is, uh, but I'm talking about like I'd be intimidated back in like late 80s early 90s Dolph yeah we didn't have the internet we were very ignorant about fitness so at that point we are just like uh steroids <laughs> steroids and now yeah like legit but like legit Dolph Lundgren knows his martial uh arts and he doesn't get to show off too much of that in this movie all and except for in a couple scenes um there's a scene when he's um <laughs> The hallway scene. There's a there's a pretty cool hallway fight scene. I think um, that's one of the actors you were referring to earlier, um, <laughs> right? Um, it's I think a, so. I think so. It was actually either that or it was. Um, uh, but there's um he's going to meet up with the the head of the white boys. Oh, that's, that's right, Al Leon. Yeah, it's the one guy who robs Dolph. So that's so fun because he works with him in Showdown in Little Tokyo and uh aren't uh. Uh, army of one and but everyone else knows him as the the fumachic looking guy from uh trouble in little china and right 
Eris Uli eating the crunch bars and diehard so it's just so awesome to see him in this kind of reduction he gets like a few lines of dialogues as well as a shit eating grin while he's robbing Dolph and Dolph is like ah okay I'm gonna just let you go out of the back door so I can pursue you now and disarm you <laughs> yeah um I've so, only been disarmed who knows how many times in my detective career <laughs> never no, no, Dolph Lung never been disarmed never just that, was once <laughs> that, well there's another thing there's like I mean Again, there's nothing here that was laugh at loud funny, but some of the dialogue was, it's, it, yeah, it's kind of laugh. Yeah, it's kind of like a grimace kind of thing. Um, again, I, I I think that's probably the David Kep influence. Um, so the movie definitely has a sense of humor to it, which is good. And I think that the strongest point that I would say for this movie is that I. Everyone knew, everyone was, you know, behind the scenes seemed to be really, really passionate about making the best movie that they could. Do you know who did the effects? Because I can't find anything on them. And usually it's someone, you know, like a Stan Winston, Rob Bowden type, you know, someone who's worked on old Nightmare on Elm Street or Steve Johnson, you know, it's nothing like that even. No Star Trek, Planet of the Apes even. And I... I wouldn't be surprised if they outsourced some other guys who've just been around for years who did their damnedest. I mean, the makeup effect when the alien is uh, sucking the blood, uh, not the sucking the blood, that just, uh, he inserts like, you know, his little uh, claw type element and, you know, sucks uh, your endorphins. Yeah. Yeah. And it's both intense without being overly graphic and like you say where you're just like okay what the hell and the movie doesn't do what so many other kind of like psycho fillers we're often doing then where it's like the actor is hamming it up and we just know that the person begging for their life is going to be dead in the next scene it doesn't even give you that amount like you say it just cuts to the chase it's just and I have to I do want to mention something that I, I, I just found out this afternoon when I was doing research is that I I noticed upon rewatch I was like this movie is actually shot really really well and it turns out Mark Irwin from Scanners yeah. right Mark well not only Scanners but a whole bunch of yeah. uh, David Cronenberg movie a lot of early David Cronenberg movies shot by da- um, shot by Mark Irwin and he's worked with um, Wes Craven I think uh, yep. Todd Phillips and the Farrelly brothers, if I'm not mistaken, if I'm looking at this correctly, uh, he <laughs> shot a lot of stuff. And uh, speaking of Showdown in Little Tokyo, uh, I think he shot that as well. Oh, there you so go. Dolph he, gave him a good word. This guy knows how to frame me. <laughs> <laughs> well, he does. The guy does shoot a really good movie. It looks like later career, he's kind of look, looking like he's doing a lot of paycheck movies. Um I'm not judging though. He's probably making he's probably making lots and lots of money. Oh, uh, what's he done? Let's um, see. I looked at him earlier, but yeah, he's been doing a lot of Todd Phillips's comedies he's from Toronto. He shot RoboCop two this same year, but yeah, I see what you're talking about. Yeah, Ooh, it looks welcome neat. to sudden death, Jesus. Yeah, <laughs> a lot of Lifetime and Kit talking dog movies and Disney films and yeah, I. I can't blame him. <laughs> so, I do. He did shoot ten episodes of Black Jesus, so I will give him that. There it's you go. He's got it. So, um, you mentioned Stone Cold, but I do 
I'm just looking here at the career of Craig R. Baxley, and I want to mention one of our earlier episodes, um, we covered The Warriors, and he did the stunt work for The Warriors, and that's that's one of my favorite movies, and was a second unit producer on the original Predator, which... Correct, yeah. Um, you can definitely see where the Predator influence kind of comes into this, um, although I would argue that I have no way of basing this, but I I would kind of think that Predator 2 almost feels like it took a lot of influence from this movie. Just saying. Uh, you know, they might have gotten word, hey, there's another movie about drug dealers. They might have even, vice versa, they might have even heard, hey, I, it's all the rage. Well, that's the yeah. thing. That, that's the thing with Pred- Predator 2. Is It's about warring drug gangs in L.A. with the Predator coming in and... You know, having the uh, just having that influence and all the time they kind of like silently hinting, "I dare you to do better with what our premise is." You know? <laughs> yeah, and so um, I wonder who can you know who knows in the the wacky wild world of Hollywood, you know what happens. But um, what would you say? Um, I think we kind of covered who this movie is for. What would you say I'm are definitely a product? <laughs> <laughs> definitely. What would you say are were, are some elements of the movie that have have it that that make it have this uh, have achieved the cult status that it has so far? What would you say are some of the elements here that really kind of pushed it above your standard level fare and has kind of endeared itself to the point where it's got a beautiful shout factory? blu-ray release here that i'm looking at and um has still has maintained a cult status and is still i mean it's 2022 and we're talking about i come in peace i mean what what is it about this movie you think that kind of gives it that little extra oomph uh well you talked about the action scenes you talked about the not non-complex yet still very uh, attention diverting plot I, I would definitely say just uh, it's not the elements it's just the atmosphere overall like just you are ready for this kind of movie just the minute you hear that synthesized you know music score and uh, you know too cool for school cops you know coming out and listening to uh, uh, trying to bust a gang and instantly seeing you know an alien beam to earth is like you are ready for just the unexpected so that's just so much better than a lot of today's movies, which, you know, are even worse about using scripts that have had too many cooks in the kitchen where the tone just doesn't match up. And they just try to hire a big name star like, you know, Kevin Hart or The Rock to, you know, cover up the goofiness. And this movie just embraces it. Like you say, just it's feels, but definitely the tone, the, the, the tone is just what I really want to get at. I mean, obviously, yes, you're going to love all the other car explosions and just the lines like go in pieces asshole <laughs> but it's yeah it's it's so prompt it's so it, you are ready for this kind of a friday night kind of movie it it's been discovered probably through saturday sunday you know at two in the morning but it deserves to be a friday night movie <laughs> absolutely and i think you actually you you brought up a very valid point a while ago about how this would still play well today because Yes, some of it, it uh, some of the um, special effects are dated, but I would say that m- more often than not, the special effects and the stunt work 
hold up, have held up relatively well. And I got to I got to say that's because we've got a guy behind the camera who knows what he's doing with stunt work kind of knows what it you know having worked as a second unit director and having worked with some some really prolific directors beforehand he he knows how to get the most out of a budget and i would you know um and again the cast is I, you said there's some character actors the only one that i really the only character actor that i noticed and was like hey it's that guy was um i want michael j pollard who I always remember from Scrooged is the the homeless <laughs> is the homeless guy that frees the free froze to death in Scrooged, and um, I think one of the drug dealers who was disguised as police guys I might have recognized, but yeah, for the most part, a lot of them are bit part actors who've done multiple TV guest spots and made for TV movies, and well, they're but, all pretty respectable as opposed to you know schlocky or cheesy, you know. <laughs> And I, I, you, you would probably know better than I. I don't know if you've covered this, but I want to say that the head drug dealer, who's only in like one scene and then disappears, <laughs> he looks. He's played Lex Luthor in something, and I want to say it was the Superboy series. Um, Ooh. But don't quote me on that. But he looks like he could play Lex Luthor, and I don't know the actor's name. And. And that boardroom scene was pretty cool because it's like it complements how intimidating just this place that they're about to kind of just walk on in uninvited to. <laughs> oh, this it's not even the boardroom scene. This is the opening scene. He's the head guy that has Dolph Lundgren's um, partner killed. And oh, 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 oh. Oh, he's got a balding head. He looks like he should play Lex Luthor. Um, but is I it do- Sherman Howard, I think? Maybe. Um, it's from Day of the Dead, believe it or not. Oh, okay. Um, and it was I, in one of the Lethal Weapons. Uh, I recognize David Aykroyd, who's... Uh, he was on MacGyver for the longest time, and just... Oh, okay. It's just another one of those guys where just the minute you see his face, you're like, oh... I just know he he's not going to say something nice. <laughs> he's that kind of guy. And I have to say though, I I, I think that I, I can't name anything else that she's been in. But Betsy Brantley, who plays the the um the coroner, who's also the girlfriend of Dolph Lundgren, she's really good. Saw go- that so many bit parts in key movies and shows. I'm like, man, talk about a cool actor actress. That's, really, that's do, one. Do, I can't because I. I can't think of anything off the top of my head. Not roles that like you're gonna instantly know, but I I was looking at her resume. I was like, oh okay, she's just she's one of the astronauts and um and and Deep Impact. She's guest starred on a bunch of other shows that I've seen, so I've definitely seen her uh, on because I've seen all of Chicago Open and YBD Blue. But then I saw she was the voice of the computer in of the same name in the Steven Soderbergh's latest movie, Kimmy. I'm like, oh, wow, so I've seen her more huh. than I realize. <laughs> yeah, but her, her character's actually really good. She's written as a... Str- I mean, that's another thing that would would hold up well and kind of ahead of its time. Uh, one of the things that they, you know, would probably get... was, and rightfully so, that gets criticized about some of these 80s and 90s action movies is the way that uh, female characters are depicted. And the female yeah. lead here is the city coroner, and she doesn't take any shit. Like, when people are trying to hold her out of, like, a, a crime scene or something, you know, she's standing up to the man, and, like, she's rightfully upset with Dolph Lundgren because he's disappeared for... I love how they make up a, a point of saying that he's disappeared for eight days undercover 
because his chief says, if it was seven days, I could have understood, but eight days? I was like, is that meant to, I was like, that's one of those lines. I'm like, is that meant to be funny? Because that's 24 hours. Come on. I mean, seven days, eight days at this point. What you know? That's like one of the few backfires is like they are trying to show how unreasonable these type of tropes are. But at the same time, you're just like, yeah, no, shut up. And at the same time, you kind of wish Dolph would say that. But I think they want yeah. to keep some kind of plausibility for this otherwise implausible movie. And like you say, it is cool to see a progressive character and... I think the reason we like Brian Binbin's character so much is he's not just a bureaucrat who's he's not even just by the book because, oh, well, I fear, you know, repercussions. It's like, that's just how I do things, man. Yeah. Yeah. He turns out. I don't have time to deal with more paperwork. I just am going to hate my life. I don't want to go home angry every night. (laughs) No, he's like, it's easier if I just, you know, do what I do, what I'm told. I follow orders. And I love how after like the third like attack on. Dolph's car. He actually no. When they're still in the limo, I think, I think it's just even funnier when he just takes out the giant car and he's like, "Screw it, no one's gonna believe us anyway." So I'm just not gonna gonna worry about the paperwork at this hour. <laughs> right? Yeah. He's just like, I mean, he finally got attacked. We don't know by who. We got some suspicions. It's got to be the gang. Anything we can do if we have to falsify evidence, I'll go against the ethics code just to bring that dangerous gang down. <laughs> yeah. He he kind of um. So yeah, he's half right. They are kind of involved. It's definitely their drugs that they think they have. <laughs> That's true. So yeah, it's kind of um, his Thanks, alien. You helped us out. <laughs> his character is um a little bit more above. Yeah, a little bit above board. A little bit more likable than your standard suit FBI guy because he does eventually loosen up and um, this movie doesn't have time to be soapy. I'm a hardboiled cop. <laughs> nope, it doesn't. It's very, very blunt, and it's very much like, listen, evidence needs to be turned into a timely fashion. He's like, no, I'm going to show this to my friend that works at the university. And, um, <laughs> and of course, yes, the guy at the university, uh, this, dr- I guess, drug addict? He's got pills. And this is a better way, when you're doing a popcorn movie, to build your world. Just go to different places. So, right. If a character explores, that's just as good as what we do with video games nowadays. That allows us to just follow around as opposed to feel like it's just, you know, a movie made without any kind of commitment or love. Right. What it's doing. So, for me, that I was going to say that what makes this kind of um, a step up from standard kind of straight to video fare or limited release fare um, around this time <laughs> is that. This script, like we said earlier, is is smarter than its premise would would probably warrant. And it's not easy to sell, and at the same time, it isn't schlocky. It's not. Um, yeah. No, it's not. And um, the action is fun. The char- like you said, the characters are all likable, and it's shot really, really well. And the music is great. So. It's kind of like the total package, and it doesn't overstay its welcome. It's a quick hour and a half. You're in, you're out. You get everything that you want out of an action movie, and probably a little bit more than you expected, given just, like, the premise of it. Like, if you just explain this premise to someone, they'd be like, wow, that sounds... They'll off the stage. Yeah. Unfortunately, because most people don't seem to, you know, 
like Dolph Lundgren, the minute you mention his name, they'll be like, pass. And it's a shame because, like, I'm telling you, dude, you love Die Hard, you love Lethal Weapon, you're a predator, you're gonna love this movie. <laughs> and I can't vouch for the rest of his career, but the only other thing that I know, like, off the top of my head, because I just covered it, is that, um, he did, he, was, he was the first live action Punisher. And I gotta say, aside from the random shots of him naked in the sewer, uh, I really liked the original Punisher movie, and um, if you haven't checked out that episode, it is available in the archives. And the German of- Blu-ray has a more uncut version with better, uh, less rushed uh, story. So, I mean, I think a lot of his movies are bound for rediscovery. It's just you got to pick and choose. I-, I think many people have come to like Men of War, and other people have kind of embraced his portrayal of He-Man, even though the movie is schlocky. (laughs) Well, I remember loving that movie because as a He-Man fan and not, you know, my, you know, it being a PG movie, I was allowed to rent it. That Masters of the Universe movie is surprisingly violent for what is supposed to be a children's movie. Um, canon, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've talked a lot of canon on this show. Actually, I just talked to a, a canon movie yesterday, so yeah, it's uh, the, the House of Canon. <laughs> and it almost surprises me that this movie, uh, I Come in Peace, isn't a canon movie because it almost feels like... But then again, other... other uh, it didn't have any ninjas or life well, force type aliens. <laughs> yeah, but we do get we got some decent karate action. But it, I mean, this was um, I mean, this one is kind of a standout. I would say as far as uh, Dolph as a Dolph Lundgren led movie. Um, you know, you could do. I haven't. Have you seen anything else by him? That was he the is uh, he the lead in Stone movies. Cold? Yeah. Which one? No, uh, he, he wasn't the lead. Uh, that was Brian Bosworth. Okay. Oh, oh <laughs> and, dear. Um, and right, and that's the other thing is like after if you see that you'll I guarantee you're going to say I kind of want to see him in more movies and unfortunately he's gone the way of just kind of starring in just religious crap where you're just like oh dear mm, mm. violent faith based you know left behind type movies and you're like Jesus what uh. wasted potential you know you already killed your football career the least you could do is do some fun kind of stone cold you know <laughs> lowbrow the rock type movies <laughs> right you would think so. Because um, I know that uh, when you think Dolph Lundgren, you don't necessarily think of the movies that he's the lead in. You think of your Rocky Four. You think of the Expendables. University of the. I'm sure that he's turned up in more than one Universal Soldier movie at this point. Um, he has, um, but fortunately, he's probably done his best was when he's actually you know doing a Die Hard Commando type movie because he's actually you know outlying his tactical stuff you buy all of his stunts like you say because he's in that kind of shape and can do those kinds of moves uh, where he's kind of gone wrong lately has just been just doing cameos either as himself or in you know movies featuring sharks or just expendables cash-ins but he still does some winners every once in a while and i mean not everyone is going to agree with the same movie, but true. Uh, if you Very if true. you go for his movies, you will at least overall appreciate what he was giving it versus, like you say, Seagal, where it's Ego Project or Van Damme, where you're like, he's in it, but he's not in it enough to justify me buying or renting this piece of shit. Yeah, <laughs> I've actually kind of come around on Van Damme lately. Um, oh, because, yeah, he starts becoming a good actor, like, when he goes direct to video. It's like, he, he had to have all that weed, all that... Uh, his agents dropping him and his movies bombing for him to kind of just 
get more real and it's so kind of real when you re- i mean i think you've seen jcvd which is kind of a really good movie um it's a satire of his life it's yeah. kind of i think that's just it he he was a guy who was a model and dancer who wanted to be an actor and unfortunately because of his physical things and not having that range that he needed back then he was just the one who they wanted to be in all these rocky knockoffs right and, and even more recently i saw a movie called the bouncer and uh that was yeah. really really good um but I haven't seen... I'm trying to think. Other than The Expendables, I don't think I've seen Lundgren in anything. But I'm guessing, given his education, given his career so far, the guy doesn't need to work. I do know that he has two absolutely like gorgeous, model-esque... I, they're probably models. Daughters. Um, and I don't want to sound shallow, but that's really all I know about Dolph Lundgren's personal life. Is uh, I, was I like, definitely think he'd love Men of War, Hidden Assassin, and okay. even some of his directed video ones, like uh, Direct Action and so forth. The, the dude does not play around, and much like any other person, it did seem like he was kind of taboo for a while, and it's just like, no, uh, what he has, you know, all the Chuck Norris and Seagulls don't have, which is just a lot of kind of... I don't know if I'd say charisma, just a likability. Yeah, he does. Yeah. Hey, he does play better to the camera compared to, like, you know, early Van Damme. You know, Van Damme gets more enjoyable later on when he's just kind of, like, with sudden death. Right. And then on the total opposite, you know, uh, you have Steven Seagal, who's never been likable to me and has only gotten worse over years. So kudos to Lundgren and Van Damme for keeping it up in the kind of, like, uh... B movie. I mean, I, again, I only say B movie because in the eighties, that's the kind of films that are kind of are being. It's well, like it's not an A movie, but it is a B type. You know, excuse for you know guys. You know, family gets dealt with. He takes out the trash for ninety minutes. <laughs> right. But then again, and, and given their their heyday when they were coming up, if you weren't Stallone or Schwarzenegger, you were automatically a B. It was automatically a B movie. <laughs> Action. Well, well when I'm talking about action, action, it was like a B. You would be a B action star, you know. Look at what we got now. The A list of action basically is The Rock, uh, The Rock, Tom Cruise, Vin, Vin Diesel. Diesel. Yeah, I'm more kind of key. Well, than Denzel Washington and Liam Neeson. So, but it's so wild because those latter two are kind of doing Charles Bronson ish type revenge movies and franchises True. now. So, it's kind of wild how. Dolph has basically been trying to do a lot of that kind of things. It's just his movies are made for ten thousand versus you know two hundred million. Right. <laughs> but um, so of the more recent Dolph Lundgren movie, if you had to recommend one that kind of shows shows that he is actually he's got some range, something like um, the, the well, bounce. Just did one last year. Which one <laughs> was that? Directed. Which one was that? Okay, so he did one uh, recently with. Uh, Scott Atkins that's basically kind of another fun Assault on Precinct 13 uh, Trespass. Did you ever see that movie with by Walter Hill? I did, yes. Okay, so it's very much like that. A bunch of thieves trying to steal from an abandoned hospital that's about to be demolished you know, at the end of the day. Right, of course. And, uh, it was filmed in Louisiana and it is called oh God, what was the name? Uh, the name is Castle Falls. <laughs> okay. So Castle and, Falls, all right, and and, and who does Dolph Scott Atkins pl- is the is his, 
uh, he, he's kind of just basically the main villain. But yeah, Scott Atkins is kind of playing the thief with a good conscience. Okay. And, uh, he's another one who's just kind of, he, he's always kind of been kind of direct video like Gary Daniels, but kind of becoming as big a deal as Jason Statham by thanks to those undisputed movies he did with Michael J. White and company. And Right, okay. Uh, so, uh, Castle Falls. Interesting. Castle Falls. It's on Shout Factory TV. Um, uh, he Obviously, he'll keep making Aquaman cameos, uh, but... I, you know what? Now that you mention that, I'm like, that guy doesn't need to. He's getting DC Disney, not Disney. That's Marvel. Uh, he's getting DC Warner Brothers money, so he's probably rolling in it. I forgot that he was in Aquaman. Uh, he did do two different movies that I think you would actually enjoy. That are kind of semi homages to <laughs> I Come in Peace. He did the really? Minion, which is kind of his in the days type movie but then he did Don't Kill It which is by Mike Mendez who you might know from Big Ass Spider and the La Ventula movies <laughs> Don't Kill It is the name of the movie? Yeah it's just a hysterical it's just like he, he, that's a line dialogue he keeps saying he's like no no don't shoot it it'll just multiply it's like he's stopping a demon that's like spreading throughout so everybody he's, he's been in two movies where the title comes from a repeat a repeated line of dialogue yeah. That's amazing. I think that that is, um, wow. I come in peace, don't kill it. Or don't kill it, I come in peace. That that would be an interesting um, way for those two movies to, to tie up Mr. Lundgren's career. Do a movie called Don't Kill It, I Come in Peace. <laughs> Hollywood, make it happen, please. You'll, you'll, please. Have a, you'll have at least two of us in the theater. Me and Cam will show up, at the very least. Um, <laughs> us and, two losers right. <laughs> nobody else nobody else has any interest in seeing it um, Cam unfortunately yeah well they're lost that's what I have to say they're lost I mean if you don't want to see Don't Kill It I Come In Peace that's on you uh, any final thoughts on Dark Angel aka ICIP make it an annual party movie event it's a very, you know, this is a really good movie. We have a bunch of people over, probably around Christmas time when it's cold. You don't feel like going out. You're oh, going to do yeah. a movie marathon. And you've seen Die Hard and Gremlins to Death. You pissed right. them off. I've shown it too many times. It's like, okay, let me show you this little gem. It's here on Tubi. Let's have fun. Yeah, it, it, it is a lot of fun. And it does, like you said, if there's a scene that you don't like, you don't like this particular character, it's going to be done in the matter of minutes. And yeah, it's not any music that you're just going to be like, oh, that's just cheese galore. <laughs> right. Someone and, is laughing on it. And again, this movie, I mean, if you just showed someone the title and like the cover artwork, I, the movie is much, it, it, you, it, it, you would probably think that it's like a C, C minus kind of movie entertainment, but uh, the movie is better and smarter uh, than its title and art leap. Lead, would lead on to which is a refreshing change of pace because I've seen nowadays what it seems to be is the poster I've seen a lot of these really low budget uh, oh, yeah. horror Bad movies Photoshop. and action movies and the poster makes it look so good and then you watch it you're like Where, what? Um, so don't be deceived. I mean, they say never judge a book by its cover. So you should never, you know, <laughs> maybe the movie should, you know, the thing about movies, you should never judge them by the poster art because the poster art 
is very generic, and the the if you, especially if you go by the title Dark Angel, which I think is <coughs> horribly generic, and um, the the title I Come in Peace is somewhat humorous, so it, it doesn't have a lot going for it. But it's the kind of movie you just kind of I think that word of mouth and and it's um, it's history on cable really kind of lent credence to the fact that this movie is probably a lot better than y- y- the Shack factory treatment come on guys yeah I mean it's got it's got the uh, what I really loved about this is that it's got a, a reversible sleeve so I have it now as I come in peace but I can pull out the sleeve turn it around and then it's dark angel and uh, yeah, so it's got the Shout Factory treatment. So if it's up on Shout Factory, if it's up on Kino Lorburn, if it's especially if it's up on Criterion, it's it's probably worth a viewing <laughs> at least once. So um, I would actually pay the Criterion. The Criterion version of I Come in Peace. <laughs> that would be sweet if they gave it like yes, yeah. And then they brought out uh, that guy James Lipton who does Inside the Actor Studio to talk oh, to Dolph. I L- miss that guy. To talk oh, up. To talk to Dolph Lundgren, I'd be like, back in 1989. What is your favorite Christmas you, song you before you go to the gates? <laughs> you dared shock audience with, I come in peace. Tell us. <laughs> <laughs> that was a great Lundgren impression, actually. Oh, my God. Thank you, thank you. Uh, I might have to do that more often when I come, when I yeah, just like James Linton in- interviewing like B movie actors. Like I would pay to see it. It's do mock yeah. <laughs> inside you, the B movie actors studio. <laughs> you sir were the first live action Punisher, and you showed your bare ass in the suit. <laughs> Why? <laughs> Uh, I, I need to. It's a thirty-year-old movie. Yeah, I was gonna. It's. I don't want to. Um, yeah, I don't mind imp- impersonating James Lipton, but um, I don't want to impersonate Dolph Lundgren on the the rare off chance that if he ever hears this, that he'll. He's got a good sense of humor. Oh, well, uh, it was a very uh, special kind of movie, and uh, they told me I had to ditch the accent, so I, I, I was all about that. I could just see him, like, I'll be at um, the grocery store picking out some, uh, like, a nice head of lettuce, and he just walks up and taps me on the shoulder and just goes, Chris, I must break you. That would be a great way to die. Um, <laughs> right. I, I need your help, but first, I must break you. <laughs> uh, what's funny is my sister now just gets ready for it because she knows I'm going to say just some stupid, like, movie pun type thing. Anytime I am now putting food in the oven, I am saying, I must bake you. <laughs> oh, that's great. Oh, that's a great one. <laughs> but, yeah, the fun with Dolph is you don't, he doesn't have any bizarre accent, so to speak. He's really ditched the Swedish yeah. in him, so now he's more of a, hey, uh cam thank you so much for joining me once again tell us a little bit about what's coming up on what's what has recently landed on the jacked up review and what's coming soon uh thank you ever so much for having me on here i was looking forward to this last week and uh it's so cool how we've been able to just kind of do a lot of just kind of cult fandom just acknowledge it's out there and embrace it we 
have done all kind. We did a International Women's Day. That was a lot of fun doing Sweet. a lot of shows like Crossing Jordan and Bones. And <laughs> awesome. The Law and Order shows. But uh, this Halloween, you can expect us to go into a lot of retro stuff. Uh, the following TV show, uh, X-Files, um, even uh, the Dead Zone show, which is very underrated. Uh, and Lovecraft Country and them uh, for more recent stuff. But... Yeah, we don't necessarily do just shows. We do do some movie franchises like Cube and Men in Black are upcoming. But we we all tr- always try to just break down. It's like, why was it hot for one minute? And why did they do all these endless sequels no one asked for? Or that were actually pretty good, but just got instantly ignored by fans because, you know, sequels. <laughs> it's too right, much. Yeah. And we, we like to try it. Well, we'll do some other rankings for other franchises after they've been on the air for quite a while. Because it is fun to rank a franchise after a while. <laughs> Yeah, it is. Um, yeah, I I found myself um, going back over the the Hellraiser franchise because of the new Hellraiser <laughs> movie coming out. Um, the thing that I will say about have you covered that on your show yet? Hellraiser. We 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 we, we did. Uh, a lot of the guys were just kind of not out of it, or just not good <sighs> sports, or kind of just kind of like some of the Stephen King fans. They were kind of Barker. Uh, you know, apologists, and it's like, you know, you can enjoy these. You don't have to agree with everything the man says. No. <laughs> Some um, of them are bad, yes, because they're, they were just forced, like, the one, the second to last one they made is like, oh, everyone was hating. It's terrible. Like, well, yeah. It's really but, bad. Yeah. And I'm sure no one liked working on it. It's like, it was as close as they got to being a student film. Well, and, yeah, that's what that's what they call a, uh, a an ash can or trash can movie that was made to keep the rights. And uh, there's the- a hysterical meme of that one actually, Hellraiser <laughs> Revelations, where it shows uh, like uh, I think the regular Pinhead and they're like signature select, and then they show the Hellraiser Revelations oh, greater value. <laughs> and it's a shame. It's it's a shame for those of you um, waiting for us to talk a little bit more. I come in peace. No, we're done with that. Uh, we're just going to wrap this up with a little talk about Hellraiser. Um, the The guy who does the makeup wrote the screenplay for uh, Revelations, and his his makeup work was like the one redeeming factor that you could count on in the the in the sequels. But he was unavailable to do the sequel. Um, and he later did the most recent one. I forget what it's oh, called. Oh, Gary J. Tuna Cliff. Right. And I talked with him briefly because we, me and Court of Cinema Psyops, decided to review some uh, Hellraiser fan films. Okay. Because he was talking about fan films, and we had already talked about the best and worst Star Trek ones. And I was like, you know, I really do appreciate a fan film. Let's talk about ones where it's like some movie buffs like you or I really set out, and they did one hell of a job, like trying to recapture the look. They some of these were even they were strengthened they could easily stand on their own other than you know some of the big budget you know cash and sequels of certain franchises and the hellraiser ones were funny and i just guffawed when you brought up the prophecy because there's actually one where one guy decided to blend over the prophecy uh storyline with hellraiser and i was like that's pretty creative i love crossovers especially in a fan film form but um What's so funny is Gary J. Tunicliffe exploded on my post. He did not like how we were contrasting the last one that he held because it felt like a fan film. <laughs> and he's like, what do you mean, torture point? Have you never seen Hellraiser? And I'm like, dude, I'm not going to even talk with you right now. You're just so clueless. 
Yeah, he's a he's a defensive guy, but he's passionate, so I got to give him credit. Uh, I I'll, love his work. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, uh, yeah. Moment, I was just like, eh, I'm I, not, yeah, I act- over the internet doesn't even serve a purpose. So no. let's just not talk. Let's not engage. I would have just told him, listen, you were the best part about that movie because he plays the auditor, and I kind of liked that character, and I was, I liked the makeup on the the auditor. So like that was my favorite part of the movie. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but speaking of fan films, and we'll end on this note, have you ever seen the Batman Predator alien fan film? That, that was what started it. I, oh, when okay. I saw that that All was right. becoming a deal. I okay. couldn't believe it. And I love how that man has launched his own career. People started casting him in low-budget B-movies. <laughs> yeah, but the, yeah, if you want to see a crazy-ass fan film, there, there's one that's Batman, he's fighting the Joker, and the alien and the Predator show up. And I'm not kidding. And it's actually pretty decent for a fa- for a fan film. That's what I will say. For a fan film, um, the effects are actually not bad. So because they kept it simple and they worried about the lighting and the makeup and it just it's a everyone should watch a fan film anyway. Obviously, there's going to be guys being dicks about it on YouTube, but Mm -hmm. you owe it to yourself to see how anything can look. It's not just like what I call the Babylon Five effect, where it's like, hey, it works for TV, but the story outweighs the lower budget. So, Cam, once again, thank you so much. We've talked. Thank you. <laughs> we've talked ICIP for a, a while now, and um, I'm looking forward to your um, actually deep dive into the Dead Zone series because I too think that it's an underrated series. And um, if you're gonna replace Christopher Walken, Anthony Michael Hall doesn't. Uh, he fills in those shoes pretty good, and The Dead Zone was always one of my favorite Stephen King novels growing up. So, um, nice. <laughs> yeah, so looking forward to that. Tell everyone where they can find Jacked Up Reviews. Uh, yeah, uh, Jacked Up Reviews show should be there uh, on Twitter, Instagram, and you know we're on all the big platforms, Anchor, Spotify. <laughs> nope, my bad. Your Twitter profile is accurate. It's my memory that is shoddy. So uh, okay, the, the jacked up, editing. yes, the, the, uh, yes. Um, so if you've gotten this far and you're still listening, I, um, I knew exactly what his Twitter profile said and you can find the jacked up review show at <laughs> jacked up review, J A C K E D U P R E V I E W. And, um, you guys have a link tree, which is going to be in the episode description. So please follow them on Twitter Check out their episodes. They're good people. Cam, I had a blast talking I with you. I'm a good person. <laughs> Thank you so much. Uh, I yes, I am. I after an hour and a half conversation, I feel comfortable enough to judge you morally as a good person. The, <laughs> the fact that you will say I will, I must bake it before you pop something into the oven. That that tells <laughs> that tells to me that you are a man with good morals and good scruples. So. <laughs> Even um, better. Oh, so we've, I think we've rambled on quite long enough. Uh, This is still recording. Yeah, oh yeah, of course it is. I, 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 if people stay with us this long, then. I didn't uh, know if you're going to edit this or not, but. uh, I might. I haven't decided yet. But uh, on that note, uh, for the Cult Film Companion, uh, my name has been Chris. Uh, I thank you all for listening and do yourself a favor and check out something cult this week. Good night. In the words of uh, (laughs) Fred Hitchcock, good evening.
<laughs> Good evening. <laughs>